Hi, I'm Danny. And I'm Nicole. Welcome to the Spend Culture Stories podcast, where we explore the connection between company spending and culture. Join us as we dive deep into understanding the people, processes, and tools that make up spend as a whole, or what we call spend culture. Okay, welcome to the Spend Culture Podcast. I'm Vakash, the content marketing manager here at Procurify with Ashton, who's our consultant. Our guest today is Bruce Joliffe, a CPA and forensic accountant providing financial solutions in the white-hot cannabis industry. Bruce, how are you doing today? Great, fantastic. Thanks, guys, for having me on today. Bruce, in looking at your wealth of experience, is it fair to call you a veteran? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's fantastic. And and Bruce, just to start off here, if you don't mind, would you be able to tell us a little bit about your career background and, and what brought you into the cannabis industry? Sure. Yeah, I've been in consulting for well over 20 years. I never really enjoyed doing the audit work and the taxes. Uh, it started out typical. Got out of college, got my CPA, went to work for a CPA firm. I was lucky enough to have a partner at the firm that I was working with, uh, Duke Consulting, who taught me, showed me that that was really cool. And I liked that a lot. So I've been doing that for quite a while now. I work uh, with companies, I really enjoy working with companies, building out their reporting systems to capture and record their transactions, and then use that information that we obtain in order to provide metrics, KPIs, dashboards, which are then used to more efficiently and profitably run the business. The thing that got me thinking about focusing on cannabis, though, was a uh, fellow that I know came back from one of the real wars and he was a mess. The VA had him on a plethora of narcotics, drugs, supposedly legal drugs, but he was a mess. And he got off of that and he was fortunate in a state where he could and started using uh, cannabis. Man, a new person. He was so incredible and was so happy finally. He was able to enjoy life, and he wasn't comatose all the time. So that was pretty dynamic for me. And from there, I started doing some research and going back as to how we got here. And that's really an interesting story for anybody that wants to go through it. I'm going to spare the lecture on that for now, today anyway. (laughs) But it's really interesting how we got here and the uh, corruption that took place to make uh, cannabis illegal. But when I started researching this, of course, I'm all in on CBD because I saw personally from this fellow how it affected him, and then the hemp. And I started learning about the hemp and what we can do with hemp. I'm just one guy here, and I try to recycle. You know, I, I try not to buy plastic in the first place, but when I do, when you have to, I try to recycle it and I think, you know, this is just heady. There's no way this makes a look that much of a difference. And how can I make a, an impact on the way that we're destroying our planet? And here comes hemp. And man, this is going to be a game changer. This is the way that uh, your grandkids are going to be able to live on this planet because we're going to do that. There's hempcrete. We can make paper products. We don't have to tear down our forests. And it just, they build a car, they have fuel, all this stuff with hemp. There's smart people working on things right now that are just going to blow our minds what they can do with hemp. Of course, now that's legal, only quite recently, 
but when I was doing this research, hemp was illegal as well. Absolutely. So, so you mentioned that you're doing some consulting work. Is that with cannabis entrepreneurs right now when it, when it comes to the, uh, as you were saying, the reporting systems, helping them with the KPIs, dashboards, things like that? So are you working with cannabis companies, kind of small, small industries and things like that? Absolutely. I'm not solely cannabis. My focus is solely on campus, uh, cannabis, but uh, I have some others that I'm working with. I do forensic accounting too, and I get some uh, calls from attorneys from, you know, go in and investigate some possible nefarious transactions that have taken place. And I enjoy that work too. And of course, cannabis internal controls are going to be are very, very important. You've got cash and you've got weed. A couple of things that are uh, highly desirable and easily concealed. So internal controls are really important. But uh, yeah, I'm really focusing on the cannabis because the industry is uh, dynamic. It's growing, and the big players aren't in this yet. They're shying away from it, and they need to wait until it's such a fluid industry right now. It eventually, we'll get to the point where it's legal. God only knows how long that's going to take. But in the meantime, these players that are out there trying to build businesses, they need help. It's a quagmire, and I'm sure we're going to talk about some of the, like the IRS problems and compliance issues and uh, the, the internal controls problems, the theft, embezzlement potential. And that's why I'm in this, and that, that's why I'm working cannabis entrepreneur. Right. Well, Bruce, you brought up the hot button topics of, of hemp and CBD and how they relate to legislation. So let's just jump straight into 280E. Can you help us understand the complexities of 280E, maybe in a simple way? Why does this make things difficult for entrepreneurs and how much longer will they have to deal with it? 280E is, is quite simple, actually. The law states that any business dealing in a Schedule One narcotic must pay taxes on the gross receipts. There you go. That's it. However, if you're dealing in a Schedule One narcotic, you have to pay taxes on gross receipts, but there is an exception that you can deduct anything related to cost of goods sold, meaning, therefore, you can't deduct a whole bunch of other things. And so if you're going to deal in that, not only can you be arrested because you're dealing in, in an unlawful substance, but you're going to be paying a, a ton of taxes. So, simple. The difficulties from that is that one, is that you pay a lot of taxes. And two, you need any business, I don't care what they're doing, if they're manufacturing, they need to keep books in accordance with generally accepted accounting principles if they really want to know how efficient and profitable their production operations are. Cost of goods sold uh, for, for GAP, generally accepted accounting principles, is wildly different than the cost of goods sold for the IRS purposes. So here you have to keep your books and records in accordance with GAAP in order to effectively run your operation. And if you're going to put out any external reports, financial statements, say if you have to do audits, uh, the auditors will, will expect it to be GAAP or there's a whole bunch of other stuff that comes into play. And investors would probably want it in GAAP. The reason GAAP is because that's what everybody else does. And so when you're looking at your financial statements and somebody else's financial statements, they're similar. Okay, but then for 280E, you have to go back and take it 
kind of a second set of books, but what, what we do right now, since there really isn't a platform available for us, we take it out of the platform, the software we're working with, and we're putting it on spreadsheets and take it from the generally accepted accounting principle basis to now tax basis for all the things that you can no longer deduct. I don't want to scare people from that because mm -hmm. there's a bunch of non-cannabis companies that do that very same thing. Right. I mean, it's like, oh, gee, that's really weird. A lot of companies at the year end, they have to do a reconciliation from book to tax for various reasons. They don't treat their accounting in their books and records the same as they're going to for the tax return. For example, a simple one is they may do straight line depreciation in their books and records because that doesn't muddle it up. Whereas for tax purposes, they might be able to get the entire machine off in one year. And that would totally hose up the financial statements for that year. So they don't do it that way. This is not unusual. There's a lot of things that cannabis companies have to deal with. The, the real complexity is, is the fact that deduct an awful lot of their expenses unless it's directly related to the cost of goods sold. That's the rub for cannabis. And obviously with that, then your entrepreneurs are sort of incentivized to find loopholes in the system. Which loopholes in particular do you feel maybe are perfectly legal and worth pursuing? And which do you see that are common that entrepreneurs and CFOs should stay away from? Well, first of all, I stay away from that term loophole mm -hmm. because in order to do this right, you want to abide by the law. There is a law that says that you can only deduct anything related to cost of goods sold. Now, this is extremely fluid at this time. The IRS isn't sure how they're going to treat everything. There's no, there's, you know, it's brand new. So typically they make a law and they figure it out as they go. And a, t a taxpayer will take it all the way to tax court, maybe the Supreme Court. And now there's law. And so now there's other standards. And that's going to be developed over the, the coming years. But of course, eventually it's going to be legal. So this won't be a factor anyway. Um, but uh, right now, what you can do, what, what any cannabis company needs to do is use the law as it's stated which says that only directly related cost of goods sold. But if you do it right, if you hire the right people and you document your logical thought process and you have documentation as to whatever is needed, such as take an easy one, rent. Okay, so we have this building, this facility, and you couldn't manufacture this product without this facility, but not all the facility. You need to segregate out the square footage for the office, the square footage for the sales people, for the restroom. Now the hallways, you have to allocate because you can get greedy on this, but you're going to be audited in all likelihood. The records are indicating that if you're in a cannabis business, you're about six times more likely to get audited than any other business. So figure there's a pretty good chance somebody's going to be looking at this stuff. And if you do it smart, you lay it out, you have your documentation, you have all of your logical analysis as to why you're doing this, you do it consistently, then you have a fighting chance. They're still subject to the auditor's interpretation, to the IRS's interpretation, but 
you've got a better chance of fighting that as opposed to just going in and doing it different ways all the time and not really understanding why you did it this way or why you did it that way. That's great, Bruce. I appreciate that rundown because I know getting a good understanding of the regulations can be complicated. But I have a a follow-up question for you. So from my understanding, it seems that accurate cost reporting becomes critical within this industry. So in your consulting practice, do you you typically recommend any tools or methods in order to properly report on these costs for these companies that you work with? Yes. A CPA and a tax attorney. (laughs) Those are two tools that you should have. That's a good starter kit right there. (laughs) Actually, cost accounting is probably one of the most arduous aspects of, of any accounting. There's a lot to it. And then when you get into it with cannabis companies, it just becomes even more complex because right now there are no platforms really that work. There's a lot of piecemeal. Someone's going to develop this for sure. I'm sure people are working on it as we speak, but there's nothing right now. And the other challenge is that every state's different. You got that tax situation in every single state where it's structured differently. And so what a quagmire. So there is no platform right now set up that, that's going to handle everything for you. Probably the largest that I'm familiar with that are being used are QuickBooks and uh, uh, Zero because they, they have a low price point. There are some better ones, but it gets costly really quickly. And a startup company might not want to pay that kind of uh, price, uh, it's certainly in the beginning. And so what you do is you get something that works and then we have the spreadsheets. We take it outside of the platform and we've got spreadsheets for this and that and the other thing. And that's where it gets really tricky because if you don't have some good solid accounting people in there doing this, it'll get messed up and that's not a good thing. I think there is definitely a legal dissonance from state to state. And you talk a lot about how that sort of affects the legislation and the solutions that can be provided, just to wear a futurist hat for a second, where do you see all this going? How do you see this playing out? And how do you see one day sort of an all-encompassing suite being introduced? Well, eventually it'll be legal for Fed purposes, and that'll take care of that problem. However, the taxing situation on this, there's two big obstacles to being in this business, is the, the taxing and the compliance. They're just killing companies with both of those, making it actually, it would appear from a reasonable person's standpoint, they can look at this and think that government from the federal all the way down to the municipality is really trying hard to keep this in the black market because anybody that wants to be legitimate has got to suffer through compliance after compliance after compliance, and, the, and it changes and it's not thought out totally. So you've got to work through it as you go. And meanwhile, you're subject to uh, penalties and fines and possibly closure. I don't know how that's going to get worked out. What was it, California, that their revenues that they projected were like half. And I think they think that's because people are staying on the ground. It's just like, we're not going to do this. And the other, so there's some other states that are doing much better, but I don't know how to, to overcome the state-by-state state thing. Yeah, you, you're thinking it would take some kind of federal legal thing for that to, to sort of, you know, come to that point. Yeah, but then that's, uh, this is getting way off track. So just right, right. really 
too quickly. That yeah. would require the federal telling the states how they're going to tax. Right. And that's a real problem with that. So, you know, the federal's got too much power. Now the, the power is supposed to be in the state, and that's got turned around really heavily. So, no, I don't like that. The states have to make their own rules and, and decisions. It is a complicated thing to wrap our heads around, so we appreciate your insights. You did bring up the black market, though, and I want to stay there. I read an article recently where a CPA was describing a sort of element of danger with regards to some of the black market owners that still populate much of this industry. How much of the industry, in your experience, is white collar, is legit? Do you see that ratio as concerning? I've heard that somewhat. When I hear it, it's more in line with how it used to be that it's improving and that you're dealing more with businessmen today, business people. And I've not personally run into that um, danger, say. I do hear statistics about how much of the industry is black market. And I wonder who comes up with those numbers. It's not likely that the black market is completing surveys. So how do you know? No one can be certain how much of the total product is. And so you don't have a total. What they're doing is saying, well, if there's this much sold, and we know there's this much because those are the people that are reporting to us, then there must be this much in the black market. Well, I, I don't know how they come up with those numbers. So no idea how much is in the black market. You know, I don't know what California came up with their numbers for revenue projections, but they were seriously behind, short. And uh, rumor has it there's a lot of people that are still doing black market. Don't know. It does seem reasonable to me that with the government, like I said, from the Fed all the way down to local municipalities, you've got the federal, and then you've got the state, and you've got the county, and then you've got the city, you've got the municipality, you probably have a street that wants to make rules for you and collect taxes from you. They're certainly pushing it really hard to stay black market. Obviously, it's an incredibly complex landscape. Just to bring this back to, to your work with cannabis companies when you work in your consultancy there, what is your typical order of operations when you do accept work with one of these companies? What do you try to tackle first? And, and what, what are some things that you find especially difficult when you, when you walk in the door and try to, try to help them out? Tackle first. Well, first thing I do is get acquainted. I learned a long time ago that, that not to walk in and start making changes until you know the lay of the land. You need to understand what's happening because if you start making changes and you don't understand the complexities of what that might create somewhere else, then you can just create havocs with the existing dynamics between the system and the operations and the, and the people. So first thing I do is spend time understanding where they're at. What do they have to work with and how are they making it work right now? So I try to figure out what's going to be have the most dynamic impact or that will do the most towards stopping the bleeding immediately. If, if say, they're, they don't have any cash or you got to figure out pretty quickly why, why they don't, what we can do to fix that. And that, that not having cash is probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest reasons all businesses go out of, uh, they fail. They run out of cash and can't buy inventory, they can't pay their payables, they can't pay their payroll. Cash flow is an enormous undertaking and needs a lot of management. But first you gotta find out what their problem is. They may be okay on cash, but they're you know they're not profitable for some reason. You gotta figure that out and attack that first. 
and then work backwards and, and try to fix whatever need, else needs to be done as you're, as you're going. There's got to be a huge collaboration between the accounting and the production and the sales. That's the big thing. Working together, those departments, to develop a plan that would therefore profitably produce a product that a consumer wants, that's the winning formula. Probably one of the problems that I have when I walk in, culture. The culture of the organization is really key. And one good thing that's happening today is that a lot of people, owners, are trying to make it fun. The whole idea of you just got to work, 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 work. It seems to be going by the wayside. And a lot of people I talk to, and it's really cool. And so if you've got a good culture of an organization that, you know, want to cooperate and they're, they're open to change, then you've got something to work with. But a challenge for me can be if I've got a culture that's very tight-knit, very secretive, not transparent at all, and not cooperative, that's hard to work with. Bruce, what can an entrepreneur do to enhance their culture or sort of improve upon those problems? Like if I'm a cannabis entrepreneur and I'm listening to this, what are my order of operations in terms of turning that around? Gary V, listen to him. He says the number one most important thing that you have is your employee. And then uh, Richard Branson says, take care of your employees, they'll take care of your customers. Those are good things that I'm, I'm hearing. And here in the cannabis industry, your employee can put you out of business by not complying. But something could happen, the wrong person could be in the store or in the facility at that time, your employee makes a mistake, and they could close your doors. So it's very important to put the employee way up there. Actually, in some case, who is it? I think it's somebody, Gary V. maybe, says, your employees don't work for you, you work for them. And I don't know if it needs to go to that extent, but it is, they're valuable, and you have to treat them like they're valuable. And let's face it, some employees are going to take advantage of that. Well, those are the ones that need to go away. You want employees that are going to work with you, and you work together. You build this organization, and if you get a toxic employee, and I'm telling you, I don't care if he's your best salesman, if he's toxic, if he's bringing everyone else down, if he's putting everyone else down and treats everyone like crap, you got to get rid of him. Mm. It's not worth it to the overall organization. Right. That's a, that's a tough call to make as an entrepreneur. Another tough call that these guys have to make, as we were speaking about earlier, is how exactly they're choosing to track spending. And I just want to go back to that and, and sort of pick your brain about it. Is this normally a manual process when you walk in? Would you think there's a market around facilitating tracking spending and having some insight into spend visibility? So something that we're seeing as software as a service industries now is they're moving away from the all-in-one solution and they're tackling based on integration. So one company will tackle one problem and do it really well. Do you sort of see that, the, the need for that in, in tracking spending in cannabis right now? You know, QuickBooks will do a great job of tracking expenses. I mean, it's a great checkbook. QuickBooks is a super checkbook and cheap, but just recording your checks is only part of the process. You need your operating procedures to know that when you write a check, it's for something that you really got. And that's 
having the documentation out on the, the loading dock. When something comes in, somebody checks it in, they sign off for it, and it goes to this person. And then you have your controls, such as inventory control, and you are counting your inventory on a regular basis, at least monthly, and matching that with what your books and records say. So the accounting platforms are going to get better. There's no question. And there's some, actually, there's some really wonderful ones out there now, because obviously we have manufacturing concerns everywhere. And but we're talking about some massive dollars in some cases. They're going, some people, like I indicated before, people are working on it right now, I am sure, to come up with some really dynamic platforms. But buyer beware. Check the reviews. Talk to people that have it, that have used it. Customer support, enormous. How user-friendly is it? Do you have to go to school for three months to learn how to use it? That's going to be a problem. Because you do have turnover and somebody else is going to have to learn it at some point, maybe immediately. That could be a problem. In terms of the actual regulatory aspect in the industry, so, so we talked 280E, we talked some of the financial implications of that. And I know you, you've, you've been in the industry for a while now. Have you noticed any trends over the past handful of years? And, and do you have any sort of personal projections? I mean, it's, it's heavily dependent on, on, as you kind of mentioned before, the federal legalization and a number of factors. But can you make any guesses in terms of how that'll be impacted in the next year or two? Well, it's going to become more and more competitive. There doesn't seem to be any letting loose of complex tax structure that many states are having. Of course, more and more states are coming online. I happen to be familiar with the Arkansas and here's an example. They just recently approved medical use of cannabis. And then shortly right thereafter, they come up with these rules that say, yeah, but you can't advertise. And no edibles. That was it. There was two things. No edibles and you can't advertise because they're afraid the children are going to get a hold of the edibles and afraid that the children will see the advertising. Like we haven't been advertising cigarettes forever. I, I needn't go any farther on that. And here's they're trying to kill the industry just as they approved it. But the difference is that the population approved it by vote. And then the state Senate put in all of these restrictions to make it really difficult for anyone to survive in the industry. So it's just going to take time. Like I said, it's going to get, I don't know, it's going to get any easier in the near term. But apparently there's a whole bunch of money for certain people, if you've got a good business plan, I hear a lot of people talk about, I mean, nobody ever comes in and says, well, you know, I want to put together a, an okay product and not make money. You know, everyone thinks develop this product that the consumer is going to demand. And that's kind of out of my purview because I, I don't know how to grow marijuana. I don't know how to grow the plant. I don't know how to extract the stuff. I did learn, and I was talking to somebody yesterday, and he somewhat educated me on some new, new ways that they're going to extract this to come up with better formulas and, and add other ingredients that actually sounded really, really cool. So once again, there's a whole science to this thing that's above my pay grade, and I know there's smart people that are working on this. So it's really exciting of what cures are going to come about. And I probably can't say that because the FDA wouldn't like that. Can't cure anything, but can help relieve 
pain and anxiety of a lot of people without using these toxic, toxic drugs that are being pushed upon the population. That's right. And we appreciate it. You speaking so much to the difference between the sort of solutionist perspective and the sort of the other, I guess, alternative perspective of people that are in this and just see the sort of green rush side of it. I guess we got time for one last question, Bruce. And I'm curious, again, to lean on your experience here and just ask quite simply, what's the biggest misconception about accounting and cannabis right now? What is the thing everybody's getting wrong? A lot of the entrepreneurs are getting it wrong from the standpoint that they're not they're not understanding the 280E thing. That maybe they heard about it, but they don't really understand how complex it is and how important it is to your future. Because like I said, right now they're six times more likely to be audited. And if you're not doing it right and you don't have any reason, uh, logic behind what you're doing, and you're not paying enough taxes, the liability can be harassed. And there's been cases, a number of cases already in Colorado. That's where they've been hitting hard because Colorado's been doing this for some time. But uh, I was talking to an attorney in Colorado that, that does a lot of work with cannabis companies against the IRS. And he said that uh, he has word that they're gearing up. They're hiring more auditors. And uh, California is going to be audited. New Mexico apparently is a big one. It's just going to happen. You're likely to get audited. So do it right. Hire some professional people that can help you set it up right. The, The cost to do that is worthwhile. It's going to pay for itself. Because you can go to sleep at night knowing that you're doing it right. Like I said, there's no guarantee. It's still open to interpretation. We're still developing this thing as we go. But if you're organized, you have your documentation, and you have your well-written logic as to what you're doing, and you do it that way consistently, you've got an argument to make. All right, Bruce. Well, we appreciate you joining us today. We know these aren't easy questions and this is so new and there's so many things, so many moving parts to this. So we do appreciate you joining us. This has been the Spend Culture Podcast with Bruce Joliff. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Spend Culture Stories podcast sponsored by Procurify. If you'd like to learn more about your spend culture, take our quiz at spendculture.com.